Our Heavenly Father, we bow again once before you, and Lord, we pray for these that have been struggling throughout this week, Father, with sickness or some other issue in their life. I pray, Father, that you'd lift them up. I pray for those that may be here this morning and don't know you as their personal Savior, have never put their trust in you, that they might take this opportunity today and think and consider the things of the Bible and consider the truth that's there, and Father, that they would put their trust in you as their personal Savior. Forgive us, Father, where we have failed you, and now I pray that you'd open up your word to us that we might understand and our lives be changed forever. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you all be seated? <clears throat> now, I, uh, I have been to, through a lot of classrooms throughout my life, a lot of schooling, and i got to tell you that I hate tests. I... Um, I doubt that I'm the only one in here that can say that. I think we all probably do. I don't uh, do well on tests. I usually freeze up. My brain just melts to mush, and all the things that I studied I can't recall. But one of the things that really just torques me is when I study hard for a test, and nothing that I studied is on the test. It seems like there's always something different on there. And it seems like sometimes teachers and professors just go out of their way to make it difficult and try to stump you because I don't know, well, I don't really know why. But I came across this little joke, and I want to read this to you, this little story, because it pertains to that, that subject matter. It says that Joe was a college student, and he was taking a course in ornithology. That's the study of birds. The night before the biggest test of the semester, Joe spent all night studying. He had the textbook nearly memorized. He knew his class notes backward and forward. Joe was ready. The morning of the test, Joe entered the auditorium and took a seat in the front row. On the table in the, in the front of the row were um, a row of ten stuffed birds. Each bird had a sack over its body covering it up so you couldn't tell what the bird was. Only the legs of the bird were showing. When class started, the professor announced that the students were to identify each bird by looking at the legs only and give its common name, species, habitat, mating habits, etc. Well, Joe looked at each of these birds' legs, and they all looked the same to him. He started to get angry. He had stayed up all night studying for a test, and now he had to identify birds by their legs. The more he thought about it, the situation, the angrier he got. Finally, he reached his boiling point. He stood up and he marched up to the professor's desk. He crumbled up his exam paper and threw it on the desk. What a ridiculous test, he told the professor. How could anyone tell the difference between these birds simply by looking at their legs? This exam is the biggest ripoff I've ever seen. With that, Joe turned and started toward the door to make his exit. The professor was a bit shocked, and it took him a moment to regain his composure. And then just as Joe was about to walk out the door, the professor shouted, Wait a minute, young man. He said, What's your name? With that, Joe turned around, pulled up his pants legs, and said, Look at my legs and tell me what my name is. (laughs) You know, that's just one of those things you wish you had the nerve to do. (laughs) But none of us probably would. But what what a way to deal with a situation like that. Now, when it comes to testing, it's never pleasant, never easy. But as a Christian, one of the things that we, you and I need to learn is that we're going to go through tests also. There will be times of testing in our lives. And um, there are questions that arise from that, questions that we have to deal with. Some of the common questions 
that people ask when it comes to spiritual testing. That's when God takes you through situations to bring about some result. But the questions that we normally have are questions like this. And we'll listen to see if you may have a question similar to this. Why does God test us? In other words, why does God have to test us? Doesn't God already know what you're going to do? Think about it. Doesn't he already know how you're going to respond in a given situation? And he already has the answer to that. So why does he even have to take us through that? Here's another question. How does God test us? That's a big one because a lot of people don't really understand, you know, what are the ways that which God might take you into a situation where he's testing you? And then the third question is this. How do we know when he's testing us? That's a big one. People always want to know, am I being tested by God, or is this just something that's just happening? Good question. And I agree with you, we don't always know that. But today, what we're going to do is talk about it. I want to try to answer some of these questions. I want to try to leave you with some applications, some lessons. When you walk out of here, at least today, you'll have some idea of what might be happening in your life, why it's happening, and how you're going to respond to it. That's a tall order for the time we have remaining, but I'm going to do my best, okay? I want to jump back into the book that we've been studying on Sunday morning. If you haven't been here with us, we've been studying the book of Judges, Old Testament book in which Israel was brought into the promised land and uh, they quickly fell away from the Lord and began to live like the pagans that already lived there. And in Judges chapter 2, verse 20, we're going to read through from 20 to chapter 3, verse 4. But let me read this, this portion of scripture and just work our way through this, okay? Then we're going to move into the subject matter. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel, and he said, Because this nation has violated the covenant I ordained with their, for their ancestors and has not listened to me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. Now, let's stop right there. Remember when Joshua died, he brought them into the land, he passed away, and the Bible says that as soon as he died, there rose a generation that didn't know who God was and didn't want to obey him or follow him. Now, up until that point, God had taken Joshua and the armies of Israel from city to city and conquered them. Walls of Jericho fell. Miraculous things happened. Uh, the, the sun stood still one day while they were fighting a battle. I mean, there were real bona fide miracles that took place as the children of Israel won battle after battle. But God is saying, now, wait a minute. I brought you into the land. You've chosen now to sin against me and to turn to idols. So what, I've, what he had done already was he had divided up the land and then they broke up into their different tribes or family groups and they went in and he said, now you finish up the job. You take and conquer the little portion of area, inheritance that you have and I'll be with you. You're going to do it. You're going to be able to be successful. Just go do it. But the Bible says that instead they turned to idols and began to act like the people that still live there in the land. And so in this passage he's telling you, he says, God's saying, well, wait a minute then I'm going to test you to see if you're going to obey me or not, and I'm going to leave these people here. I'm not going to conquer these people for you. You're going to have to do it. So that's what he's basically telling us. Now we pick up in verse 22. He says, I will use them, the people, to test Israel and to see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their ancestors did. The Lord had allowed those nations to remain. He did not drive them out all at once by giving them into the hands of Joshua. He's telling you there, I left them in the land with the expectation that the Jews or the Israelites would take them out, but they didn't. But I wanted to test them to see whether they would obey me. 
In chapter 3, look at verse 1. These are the nations the Lord left to test all those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. He did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not previous battle experience. Um, if you'll recall now, since the time they came into the land, probably 20 or 30 years have gone by. Joshua's dead and the next generation has risen up. So there are a lot of people living in the land in their 30s, early 40s, who did not have any battle experience. So another reason why he says, I'm leaving them here, is because this will afford them the opportunity to learn how to fight, because they're going to have to fight from now on. So basically there's two reasons, that I can test you so that we can see what you're going to do, and secondly, so that those who have no battle experience now can get the experience. We pick up now in verse 3. It says, the five rulers, of, I'm sorry, um, the, the, he's the hero of the ones that were, that were left in the land. The five rulers of the Philistines, all of the Canaanites, the Sidonians, and the Hippites, living in the Lebanon mountains from Mount Baal Hermon to, to Lebo Hamath. They were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the Lord's commands, which he had given their ancestors through Moses. Three times. In this passage, God tells you, I'm leaving these pagan people in the land to test you. And they're going to torment you. They're going to come up against you. They're going to try everything they can. You're going to have to either subdue them or not. That's your choice. But I'm doing it in order to test you so that we can see what you're made of and what you're going to do, whether you're going to obey me or not. Now let's take and jump from that situation and that truth that in the Old Testament God tested his people because this is a, a, a teaching or concept that is taught throughout the Bible. It is something that happens today all the time. And we don't often realize that, that God tests his people, you and me. I looked this week to try to find a good working definition for a spiritual test. How would you define that? And I couldn't really find a good, clear one. There are some good things about different ones, but I, come up, I came up with this one it sort of pieces a few of them together. Basically, if I had to define what a spiritual test is, and this is what we're talking about, it would be this. It's when God uses the events of life to expose the hidden qualities of the believer, whether good or bad. God uses the events of life to expose or to bring out, surface, hidden things about you that you are not aware of, whether they be good or whether they are bad. Now, um, there is there is a lot of things. Uh, there are a lot of things going on in our in our hearts and our in our minds that we don't often see or don't recognize. And it's through the testing that God brings those things out. It's not for His benefit. Now, please understand this, okay? God doesn't need to know that. Even though in the Bible it says that God did it so that He could see, well, He already knows. What God is doing is bringing out of you the truth so that you can see it. God wants you to be aware if you're not going to obey him. Let's face it, head on. God wants you to be aware of the weaknesses that you have. God wants to know also for you to be aware of where your strengths are. Um, the good and the bad both come out of this when, whenever you go through a time of testing. And God shows you sometimes the good things about you. You know, that you would be obedient, that you would respond correctly, that you would trust him. And you need to see that and to know that because maybe you're not aware of that for yourself and you don't see it. 
So God brings these events, these things into our lives to bring about that recognition, or if you will, or that exposure. Now, what does a test look like? What we're talking about is spiritual tests. So give me some examples of what that might look like. Okay, I'm going to give you several examples. For example, a test might take the form of a tragedy that needs to be faced. A tragedy that you have to face, and it's not pleasant, it's not fun, it's horrible, but it's something that you have to face. And God says, okay, this is what I'm bringing into your life as a test to see what's going to happen and how you're going to respond to this. Not for my benefit, but to show you and others around you. Another form of what a test might look like would be a temptation to be resisted. Sometimes God puts us in situations where we're facing a temptation and we're going to have to choose. What are we going to do? Are you going to be obedient to me or are you not? Because that too can be a test and you can find examples in Scripture of that. Here's another form of what a test might look like and that is that it's a challenge to be conquered. God puts you in a situation where you're faced with a challenge that you're scared to death to even face. Maybe for you as a believer, he puts you in a situation where somebody asks you point blank. Tell me about Jesus, because I don't know anything. And you've never talked to anybody about your faith, but now you're put into a situation where you're going to have to say something. And then so the test is, what are you going to do? So you're being faced with a challenge that you have to conquer that you have to deal with, and so you have to, to face that. Here's a fourth kind of test and what it looks like, and that is that sometimes tests take the form of a success, a success that needs to be handled correctly. Sometimes we fall into the trap of becoming arrogant and prideful and self-sufficient and all these things, and we have to be tested Because God wants you to see, hey, wait a minute. What you're doing is wrong, the way you're responding to this. What are you going to do when a a long-lost uncle dies and leaves you a fortune? How are you going to deal with that? You think to yourself, man, that's the greatest blessing in the world. Man, I I, I pray for that kind of stuff to happen. Yeah, I know. But in, in that situation, God says, I'm going to test you to see what you're going to do with this. Because a lot of times we get greedy and selfish and self centered and we become arrogant and so forth. So a test could come in any number of forms, but it's always to bring something out of you, bring it to the surface so that it can be seen because I can't deal with it if I don't see it in myself. And God running you through the test, ever how that may look, sometimes brings that to the surface. Now, let's jump into this because I want to talk to you about some things that are kind of weighty, kind of... Um, Well, you'll see. These are things that we often talk about and think, but maybe we don't always want to admit it. But does God cause this to happen? Does God cause tragedies in your life in order to test you? See, this is a a big question because a lot of us struggle with this. We really do. There are two points of view on this situation or this question. Number one is this, that yeah, God did it. Whether he caused it or whether he just allowed it, like in the case of Job, he allowed Satan to have his way with Job. Either way, God is behind it. That's one point of view. And this really causes conflict with some people. Because we don't want to face the reality or the possibility 
that that tragedy in my life, that God did that? See, that kind of makes God seem petty. Kind of makes God seem like, man, you're just messing with me. That this thing in my life, you brought into my life, and I don't understand why. And I grieve over it, and I hurt over it, and yet you did it to me. Oh, that's, that's one possibility. And here's the other possibility. And that is that those things in our lives that come into our lives that we don't like and they're very unpleasant are just coincidences. We go through life and bad things happen to people. Bad things happen to good people. That's what we say. And that's a true statement. Bad things do happen to good people. Sometimes we're just in the wrong place at the wrong time, we say. And, and that's the reason that happened to you, just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And hey, you know what? If I'm in a car wreck, yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. I have no problem with that. Sometimes we tell people, well, it's just your turn. You know, your number's up. It happened to you because all, you know, you've rolled the dice all these years and nothing's ever happened and now it has, so just stop complaining. It's just your turn. Sometimes we tell ourselves or other people, well, you were just unlucky. You're just unlucky. You know, I listen to that and I think to myself, there's a problem with this. And the problem is that people cannot accept the fact that God is sovereign and that God would do something like that. Because, you see, we're all comfortable with this little concept that we have of God. we got him in this box and we can define him, we can explain him, we can tell what he's like. And the very thought that God might do something like that to me I go to church every Sunday and I love the Lord and He loves me. Why would He do that to me? I don't deserve that. But in reality, I myself don't like random coincidences. I don't believe in them. I find comfort in knowing that God's behind it. See, to me that's very comforting. The other alternative is to live in a world where you're just waiting for your number to come up. You're just waiting for the other shoe to drop. You're just waiting for the bad things in life to occur because given enough time and enough roll of the, rolls of the dice, it's got to happen. Well, that's kind of scary. But what isn't scary is this, to know that the God who loves me, listen, the God who loves me, is in control of the things that happen in my life because I can trust him with that. Man, I don't understand it. You know, I, I tell people this all the time. I don't understand why the things happen to you the way they do. I really don't. And nobody does, honestly. But I know who's behind it. And I can trust in a loving God that he knows, and I don't have to. But what I don't like is I don't trust random. I don't trust that. And I don't want any part of it. So one of the things that I find that's most comforting, at least for me, is to the reality to believe and to understand that a sovereign God is in control of the events of life, whether they be good or bad. To me, that's comforting. Sovereignty and random coincidences are polar opposites. 
Sovereignty by definition means in total control. A sovereign king is total control of his country. What he says goes. The Bible portrays God as sovereign over all of the affairs of man. We don't like that, even as Christians, because we want to have some say in this. We want to have some control over it. So we come up with these ideas about, well, things just happen apart from a sovereign God. No, that doesn't compute. doesn't make sense. It's not biblical. Well, you've got luck or you got just happenstance and you got God. No, you don't. You have sovereignty. And that's all. And I tell people this all the time, but the sooner you come to grips with this, that God is sovereign and in control, the happier you're going to be. Because as long as you are approaching God with this attitude that if bad things happen to me, I'm going to squawk and complain and kick and rebel and call you names and turn my back on you, which most people, when bad things happen, that's the way they respond. If you, as long as you have that thought process, then you're never going to be content. You're never going to be at peace. Sometimes I believe that the things that come into our lives are to bring us to the point of having to come to that realization that God is sovereign. I want you to listen very carefully to this little couple of sentences that I've written. I'm going to read it to you because I want you to understand it and I'm going to explain it to you so you can really understand it. Agree or not, you're going to at least understand it, okay? Listen to this. Everything in life does not happen because God is testing you. But everything in life, both good and bad, become a test by default because you are now going to have to react to it in one way or another. Now listen, let me explain it. People say, well, something terrible happens in life or some ordeal I'm having to go through um, and God's just testing me. That's the reason he did it. Well, you know what? I don't believe that. I believe that God does at times, but I don't believe that that's the total reason. That to me seems to make God very petty. I'm going to put the screws to you to see how you respond. That's just petty. And that's not God. I believe that there are times in life when things happen and there could be a multitude of reasons behind a a sovereign God's way of thinking. My goodness, why would God take the life of a nine-year-old boy who had a wreck in a bus with a train this past week? Why? I don't know. I don't even know how to answer that question. But here's what I do know. I know that a sovereign God may have multiple reasons for doing it may have things in, that only in his mind, only his way of thinking, and he did it for whatever reason. And that's okay with me. But what you need to understand is this, that no matter what happened and no matter the reason behind God's doing it, it becomes a test of your faith by default. may not have been the reason God did it, but it becomes that anyway. Here's the reason why. Because you now have got to respond to that. You're either going to trust him and confess that he's sovereign and let God be God, or are you going to rebel? You're going to turn your back on him in anger. 
you're going to be disgusted because you feel like you've been cheated. So yeah, everything in life, both good and bad, become tests. And that means the good things too, like I said earlier. The good things in life happen. God blesses and God just pours it on and then God waits and for you to see how you're going to respond when that happens. Look at Paul. Paul talked about that thorn in the flesh that he had. He said, you know what? It came upon me. God gave it to me because of all the revelations and all the miraculous things that God had given me the ability to do. He said, to keep me from getting the big head, to keep me from becoming conceited, to keep me from becoming prideful, God gave me this ailment to keep me humble. So yeah, the good things too, folks. Those become tests as well. Sometimes I think we have this idea that God's just sitting up in heaven looking to see what he can do to make your life miserable. And that is not God. But the things that he does bring into our lives for whatever reason, and you'll never know what those reasons are, you and I have to start looking at them as tests. Because you and I have to respond to that. We have to respond to that. And you have to ask yourself this question, am I going to respond in a godly fashion and grow from this experience or am I not? And that's what makes it a test. Stop worrying about why it happened and start focusing on how you're going to respond. Because, you see, that's the one thing you can control. You can control how you respond. What you can't control is what happened. That's totally out of your hands in most cases. But God says, now I want you to see something. I want you to see how you react. I want you to look at the depths of your soul. I want you to see the person who you really are down deep. And you know what? There are times when you just rejoice because God brought you to this point and you responded in faith and gratitude and in, in love. And you can look back at yourself and say, you know what? I have grown. You came through that test very well. But there will be other times when we don't. And that too is beneficial. Because then we can begin to change the things that need to be changed. I want to give you four things that I want you to remember. Some of these I've, I've kind of hit on already, but just let me kind of drive the, the thing home here, okay? With these four things that I want you to leave here with. Number one is this, okay? God controls the events of life. Nothing happens by chance. God controls the events of life. Nothing happens by chance. Until you become convinced of that, you are going to struggle. You really will. You're going to struggle with God's love for you, what God does and how he does it and why he does it. Stop worrying about all that. Come to the realization that God is sovereign. Nothing happens that God doesn't have his hand in. It doesn't happen by chance. Number two is this. Since you know God loves you, you can trust him with anything. See, this is the key. I can face this issue, whatever it may be, and I can respond in a more godly way because, first of all, I'm already convinced of who I am in Christ. I'm already convinced of that. I'm already convinced of what he's done for me. I am already convinced that he loves me. See, this is a big one. Because things go wrong in your life and you begin to question, does God really love me? Oh, man. Some of you, you're struggling with cancer. Some of you have lost, have lost loved ones. It would be very easy 
for us to begin to question whether God loves us. We would always do that if we weren't convinced of who we are in Christ. And if I wasn't convinced that God loves me, not because I'm a good person, but because He chose out of His grace to love me just like He did you. If I wasn't already convinced of that, I couldn't face, I couldn't face life. And you and I have to be convinced of that. Listen to this very carefully. I want to read something for you. Paul, when he was writing to the Corinthians, he's listing for them the things that he's endured as a Christian because they were questioning his commitment and so forth. But here are some of the things that he lists that he has gone through in his endeavors to spread the gospel. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four through 27. Listen to this. He says, Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. In other words, five times I received 39 whips with a lash. He says, Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone, often gone without food. I have been cold and naked he goes on down, lists a few more things and draws it to a conclusion. The question is this. Here's Paul having gone through all of these things. Man, is he just unlucky or what? Why would Paul, why would the Apostle Paul get beaten five times with, with a lash, three times with rods, stoned, shipwrecked three times, go without? Why would he do that? Why would he endure that? Because Paul was convinced that God loved him. He knew who he was in Christ. He knew what God had done for him. And he said, you know what? If this is what it takes to bring the gospel to those that don't know and for those that don't understand, then I'll take it and I will endure this because I know that my God loves me. He's not beating me down. God's aware of what's happening. God is taking me through this. And I'm growing in my faith and my Trust in Him because I know, first and foremost, that He loves me. You have got to know that. Because when the storms come, and believe me, they will, you need to understand that God is in it, that God knows it, that God is in control of it. And that I would rather have the God who loves me in charge than just random coincidences. But here's the third thing you need to walk away from here with today, and that is this. That regardless of the situation you're going through, it is always a test of your faith, like I mentioned earlier. It's always a test whether that was what God meant it to be or not. It becomes that. Listen to what Peter says. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. In all this you, are, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Look at that. He says, right now, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of things going on in your life. He said, that's just what you're going to have to face. He said, he said this, he said, 
in verse 7, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now let me show you something. This is kind of an odd verse, and you don't quite get the gist of it or appreciate the, the impact of it because of this descriptive phrase in here. I'm going to pull it out. I want to read you the thought without this descriptive phrase. Verse 7. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. He said, you've had to go through all kinds of things. We can't explain it. Don't have an answer for it. But there's one thing we do know, that these things have come to prove the genuineness of your faith because you're going to have to respond to them. One way or another, you're either going to trust the Lord or you're not. And when you trust the Lord and you walk through this in obedience and you walk with Him and you learn, then one day you're going to stand before Him. It's going to result in praise, glory, and honor. Wow. (laughs) I don't know what you're going through, guys. And we grieve, we cry, we hurt. We struggle. There's nothing that's going to make it any easier. But knowing this, that my God's aware of it, and regardless of why He did it, that's between, that's just, it's just God. He can do what He wants. I'm going to have to respond to it. And I'm either going to trust Him more and go through this, as painful as it is, Or I'm going to do like some people do and I'm going to fall away. I'm not going to go back to that church because God didn't do what I wanted Him to do. I'm not going to to worship Him anymore. I'm not going to read the Bible anymore because God has let me down. God has disappointed me. God says when we stand firm and the genuineness of our faith comes out, that it'll be rewarded. It'll be rewarded. Here's the fourth thing that I want you to remember, okay? Every test is an opportunity to grow spiritually. Every test is an opportunity to grow spiritually. In James, let me read you this verse. In James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, here's what he says. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now notice what he's saying. There's going to be things in your life, all different kinds, okay? But he said, look at it differently. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and lacking nothing. You know what perseverance is? It's the determination to hang in there. That, you know, you're taking me through this and I I, I don't give up. I persevere. I go on. He says, you're going to go through these various and different kinds of trials in your life, and only God knows why. But you need to know this, that the testing of your faith is going to make you stronger so that you stand. Because without the testing of it, without the trying of it, without the putting it out there, then you wouldn't be strong. 
and when it has finished its course, in verse 4, you're going to be mature. Wow. How many times have we prayed, Lord, help me to become a mature Christian. Help me to grow. And God says, if that's what you really want, then that's fine. But here's the way it's going to happen. It's going to happen in the crucible of life. It's going to happen with me taking you through some hard times. But you trust me, and you walk with me, and you don't give up. And you'll be rewarded in more ways than you can imagine. Let me read you this little story. It says, A young boy was fascinated to see the stirring of life in a cocoon. The moth inside was struggling to free itself, but the process was slow and tedious. Thinking that he would help the moth, he took his knife and he slit the cocoon so that the insect could emerge from the cocoon. But when he did, it had none of the beauty of the beautiful color that the boy expected. It couldn't even fly, and pretty soon it died. The boy later learned that a moth's struggle to free itself from the cocoon is a necessary part of its development, and that the process stimulates body fluids that give luster and strength to the wings so that it can fly. You know, God doesn't place us in this life to simply leave us. The Bible says, God says, I am continually working to bring you to the point I want you to be. I'm continually working in your life to bring about the very best that I can. And there are times when the struggle is what makes us that person. There are times when we go through the heartaches and the disasters of life that God says, you've come through this, now how are you going to respond? How are you going to respond? Because that choice to respond in a certain way is what makes me stronger. That's what gives you maturity spiritually. And isn't that what you're praying for? We all are. If you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, let me read you this one last verse. It's in John chapter 3, verse 16. It goes like this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. If you're here this morning and you, you can't answer this question with the knowledge that you're going to be saved, then you need to consider this verse. The question is this. If you were to die right now, what would happen to you? If you were to die right now, where would you go? Your body's going to lay here before us, but what would happen to your spirit? Where would it go? The Bible says there are two choices. And I'm not saying this. I'm not making this up. It's in the Scriptures. One choice is that you'll spend eternity in hell. It's real. I wish it wasn't, but it is. I'd like to believe that everybody's going to go to some place called heaven and everybody's going to be there, but the Bible says that's not the case. There is a hell and you're going to go there. Because of one thing. Now listen very carefully. Because it's not what you think. You've always been told that you're going to go to this place called hell if you are a terrible sinner. So you go through your life feeling like you're not good enough. You're never going to measure up and God doesn't love you. 
But that's not true. The Bible says that nobody's going to hell because of their sinner, because we're all condemned already. The Bible says you're going to go to hell for one reason only, because you have not accepted God's one and only Son. You see, God the Father sent His Son, Jesus Christ, who died on a cross, and He took all of your sins. The penalty for all of your sins, He took upon Himself, and He died in your place. He took your pain, your suffering, your death. And God says to you and me, then He turns to the world, He says to the entire world, He says, this is the payment that I will accept. This is the sacrifice. I'm not asking you to measure up so that I will accept you because you can't. What I'm asking of you is to accept the substitute. For God so loved you that He gave His one and only Son as a sacrifice that whosoever believes in Him will have eternal life. Guys, it's very simple. Let's not make it difficult. God loves you, but He hates the sin. And the only thing that can deal with the sin is the blood of Jesus Christ. When you put your faith in Him, He saves you. Will you do that? If you have any questions about this, I would love to talk with you. There is a yellow card in the seat in front of you. Just fill it out, drop it in the offering plate. I would love to sit down with you and explain this further and to talk with you. But it's up to you. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we bow here before you. Father, we're overwhelmed with reality that life just stinks. Things happen and we can't explain them and Lord, we get mad at you and we blame everybody else and Lord, in reality, you love us. And in reality, things happen to us and what you're asking of us is that we trust you. Father, I pray for each one of us that is here that Lord, we would indeed trust you. And when our faith is put to the test and when we come through this ordeal that Father, we would be found faithful that our, our faith can be strengthened, just like the Bible talks about the value of gold going through the fire. That, Father, we might become mature, having gone through it, because we've learned firsthand that you are God. Father, that's worth anything and everything, just to learn that. Father, may we all take a step back and let you be God and that we might believe and trust in you more. In Jesus' name.